DiscerningHearts.com presents a very special In Conversation with Dr. Anthony Lillis, discussing the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, also known as Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. Dr. Lillis has taught graduate-level theology for over 20 years and specializes in spiritual theology, spiritual direction, and various classics of Catholic spirituality. He's a frequent contributor and serves on the board of Discerning Hearts. We now begin our conversation with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's good to be with you. It is important, isn't it, for us to reflect on a life that had such an impact on so many people spiritually. And I'm speaking of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. He's touched so many people in ways that we may not even realize just by his writings and, and his teachings and his life. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm thinking about his life, and this is very simplistic to say, but in order to get a handle on what he's done for us, you can look at his work before and after the council as this incredible theological achievement, and he continues to build on it. But the kinds of discussions that he begins to open up, let's say in one of his earlier works like Introduction to Christianity, is something that can be taught today just as well as it could have been taught back in the 1970s and still strike us with the freshness of vision that he brought into the theological discourse. So there's kind of this theology phase, and then this theology phase kind of culminates in his work for John Paul II, which is capped with what I would say is the second phase of his life is his spiritual father. And you could say that some of his work in the CDF was already the work of a spiritual father. I met him when he was at the CDF, or met him as probably makes it sound like it was more of a meeting than it was. I was walking down the street in front of St. Peter's, and me and my wife, Agnes, and she had knew who he was. She had done some things working with Mother Teresa and Father John Hardin on perpetual Eucharistic adoration. So she knew what he looked like, you know, and, and but I didn't. I'd never seen him before. And anyway, we're walking down the street, and this blue-eyed man with beautiful white hair and well-groomed and just looked right into my eyes with a kind of joy and said in perfect English, you know, good morning, young man. And I said, you know, uh, good morning, father, something like that. I'd not realizing who it was. And after we passed by, Agnes like elbowed me. That was, that was Cardinal Ratzinger. You just said good morning, father, to Cardinal Ratzinger, you know. <laughs> but he was so friendly in that encounter. It completely disarmed me. I heard press releases and things about this kind of German theologian who was kind of angry, you know, And but that's not the man I met. The man I met was somebody who you would enjoy a conversation with. Well, since that time, I discovered that that's exactly the man he was. Even people he disagreed with harshly, they had vehement disagreements. He would invite them over and they'd have a glass of wine together, you know, and his theological disagreement wasn't a personal thing. It was about the integrity of doctrine. He affirmed people where they were at. And there's something to my mind in terms of spiritual fatherhood that, so he's not only a great theological mind, but there's a, this paternal love in him that wants to keep the family together. 
zeal for the truth is important for the church, no doubt. We need to be vigilant to protect the integrity of the faith. And he certainly was by giving us a fresh new look at it, but preserving the integrity of what we believe at the same time. So that in tremendous theological achievement, but also what he was doing first in the CDF, but then later on as Pope was being a great spiritual father, holding together the unity of the church, just like a natural father might try to hold together the unity of his family and people going this way and that and trying to help us rediscover what unites us together. And so his ministry has the vicar of Peter was a powerful gift following the pontificate of John Paul II at a time when we needed to address some very, very difficult wounds in the church in terms of the abuse crisis. Here you have this wonderful fatherly soul who was given to us. And then he makes this unexpected and surprising discernment to retire. And this maybe begins that you could go theologian, spiritual father, and then I would say this his last phase of his life was the contemplative mystic. And just like he never stopped being a theological voice for our times, he never stopped being a spiritual father when he stepped into this mystical contemplative role where he helped us by his very witness discover that the most important thing of the church isn't the politics and the power of the papal office, that the church isn't exhausted by the activity of Christ the head in the leadership and the governance of the church, that the church also has a heart, and it's for the heart that the head laid down his life. And Pope Benedict, in the final part of his life, took the whole church into the heart by devoting himself to prayer and silence and solitude for our sake. And anyone who thinks that that was done without any personal sacrifice at all simply doesn't understand what this man did for us. He didn't live in luxury. He lived a very simple life of solitude, praying for the church, praying for those who were suffering in the church, who didn't really understand all that was going on in terms of the scandals and the crisis of fatherhood that was going on. He devoted his life to praying for us so that at the end of the day, we wouldn't be overcome by hopelessness, but we would remember the reason for our hope. And so anyway, that's the way I I kind of look at his life is that he was a master theological voice at a time when we needed a master theological voice. He was a spiritual father at a time when we needed spiritual fathers. He was a contemplative mystic at a time when we needed contemplative mystics. And in this way, his contributions, I think, to the church in our time and to our faith, I don't know if we'll ever fully realize it in this life, how important his witness, his theological work, and his governance of the church has been for us. But it's a pure, great grace. I couldn't agree with you more. You said it so beautifully, as you usually do. You gaze upon the multifaceted diamond, Antony, in a direction that many of us don't and you see facets. And I think that the three aspects of his life, not to make it small, but it just makes it bigger. He will be remembered in so many ways, in so many different conversations, for his ability to break open the scriptures. And we cannot ever negate the way he just lifts up that spirit of the liturgy that book, that the actual book that he would write on it. Unlike Father Fezio has pointed out that the other books, 
were usually taken from a series of talks. Even at the introduction to Christianity was the, the series of lectures that he gave. But The Spirit of the Liturgy was one book that he actually wrote with that in mind to offer that corpus, you know, on the liturgy and that experience. And, of course, the Jesus of Nazareth trilogy that he would give us. But there is something what I wanted to talk to you about was this area in which he really took it into himself to offer a catechesis on prayer, the importance he placed on prayer in our life. And he'll even put that in the encyclical, Spes Alve. He talks about how prayer is the school of hope. Mm. And that I think, you know, and I don't mean to keep going on and on, but it's the audiences that he did on the lives of the saints, and he examined their prayer of not only men, but also women. He honored the feminine genius. He honored the Marian dimension of church, and like many others haven't been able to articulate so clearly for the people in a very long time, don't you think? I think so. And, you know, this has to do, and you, you've had some really wonderful people speaking on this, and so I'm sure they've articulated it much more clearly than I ever could. But his theology is born out of a time where the world has fallen apart. One of my favorite stories is when he's drafted into the German army, and the sergeant is asking everybody what they're going to do after Germany wins the war. And he says he wants to be a Catholic priest, and the sergeant mocks him and says, you know, we won't need priests in the new Germany because everybody will have everything they need. And he, he says, you know, that two convictions fell on my soul at the same time. I was completely convinced that Germany would never win the war. And the second thing was that after we lost the war, we would need priests more than ever. And, you know, and it's a beautiful story, but it gets to the problem of our times where where we drink the Kool-Aid of the idea, if we just have the material things that we need as a community, as a society, we're going to be happy and everybody can kind of believe what they want and exercise their personal autonomy and it doesn't hurt each other to be able to do exactly what you want and your inner convictions don't really, as long as you have, you know, material abundance, you'll be okay. And whether it's communism or capitalism or national socialism, that anybody who believes that is intoxicated with materialism. And materialism, for him, it robs you of hope. It robs you of a future. Because in materialism, whatever system you want, the fundamental problem is that you're afraid of reality. You view reality as something you need to manipulate and control in order to secure the minimum you know, material things you need to survive. In other words, reality is somehow against humanity in that worldview. Well, our faith, the life of prayer, opens up in just the opposite. The reality in which we live is a gift from God to me personally and, and to my brothers and sisters. And so it's not something for me to control and manipulate that I have to be afraid of. It's something that I can approach with hope and confidence with God because I know God's good and I can trust God. And so I can trust reality and I can trust in the goodness that he's sown into the world around me and in trusting in those things. I can dare to have gratitude and thanksgiving, live my life with kind of a confidence that God has taken my side and that everything's going to work out. And in fact, because of the Eucharist, not only believe that has kind of a 
an abstract hope, but actually experience it every day at Mass as uh, Jesus gives himself to the church, given himself once and for all, and yet every time the Mass is celebrated, every time we go to the Eucharist, that once and for all gift is given to us anew, and it becomes the basis of a way of life filled with hope and goodness. And so instead of having to approach the life with fear, this Christian prayer, the tradition of it, the great mystical tradition of our life that he witnessed to at the end of his life, is that no matter what happens, no matter how awful the circumstances that befall us, we have reason to hope because God's in control. And this life, this space and time isn't the end of the story. Even if it seems that my life ends in a disaster, the end of the story isn't with God. And so I can proceed with confidence and trust. And proceeding with confidence and trust gives me a freedom that you don't have when you're afraid. When you're riddled with anxiety and you think the world's against you and, and that you need to be manipulating and, and controlling everything, uh, grasping for control, you don't gain freedom, you lose freedom in that worldview. Faith in Christ Jesus, who's given everything to us and giving himself to us, the Father gives everything to us by giving us his Son. The Son is the one who is from the Father and for us, and he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can know the love of the Father and his goodness, and this is what helps us thrive as human beings. Human beings are not defined by our failures and our weaknesses and all the things that go wrong. What defines our lives no matter what happens to us, is that we are, and this is from Spes Salvi, the great encyclical on hope, we are awaited by love. We are awaited by love. And to be able to live life knowing that you're awaited by love, no matter the circumstances, you're going to be a source of joy, you're going to be a sign of hope, and you're going to help your brothers and sisters, even those who don't believe, realize that there's a future, there's something worth living for, that life is a great and wonderful and beautiful gift. And Pope Benedict, he's telling us that life is a great and wonderful and beautiful gift, even as he suffered death. His witness calls to us to have the courage to live life and to love and not to worry about when things fall apart, but keep on believing and keep on striving for this beautiful plan that God has for us because we already have everything we need when we have Jesus. We don't believe in a future that is an unrealized future. Somehow, right now, you have in your heart, if you've accepted Jesus, everything you need and everything we'll have in heaven, even if we'll have it with greater joy and greater perfection, everything that will be ours is already ours now. And so it's ours in such a way that nothing in this world can take it away from us. Anyway, this is this is Pope Benedict's witness to us. This is why Cardinal Sarah can write a book about silence and keeping silence against a dictatorship of noise, because it's a silence that receives the gift of Christ that becomes the basis for our hope. We don't have to be sucked up by the the noise and the cacophony of the latest technocracy, whatever flavor it takes. We can actually live a life by faith in the living God, faith in the risen Lord, and that life is going to be meaningful and it's going to be rich with purpose. And we're going to find a reason to take risks because with Christ Jesus, he's showing us that it is worth taking the risk. It's worth pouring our lives out, 
our lives aren't meaningless. They're filled with the Word made flesh, who is the eternal meaning of the Father, who the eternal meaning from the beginning, and the beginning was the Word, and the beginning was meaning, and the beginning was love, and that's what lives in our hearts. And, and again, Pope Benedict has witnessed this to us. Anthony, that's beautiful. And I know you have to get back. You took time in this very special day to be able to be with us, to just help guide us, to help us ponder the soul of Joseph Ratzinger as he points us to Christ. I just have to ask real briefly, for those who are listening to us, whether it's by means of a podcast or a radio broadcast or YouTube or whatever that might be, on those same platforms, there will be voices that will either try to take that soul we just spoke of and try to either slap it over here and say, this was an ultra-liberal who caused all kinds of damage, or this was an ultra-conservative who caused all kinds of damage. It hurts my heart to think that these kind of sophomoric type of accusations will take place against somebody they probably, those voices, probably never ever read him and never looked him in the eye like you did. What would you say to those who might encounter that type of description of this person that we've been speaking of? First thing I would say is that the church that Jesus instituted, his mystical body, is not a church that's comprised of liberals and conservatives and traditionalists and progressives. That's, those are political categories that work fine if you want to talk about American politics in some broken way, that, that's fine. But those categories don't really belong to the church. His Catholics were either faithful or were not. And when it comes to Pope Benedict, this is a man who was faithful to the end. He loved Jesus, and he laid down his life for the church. He could have chosen a much comfortable existence all the way through. And every time something was asked of him that required generosity on his part, he did it not for prestige or honor or any other worldly benefit. He did it for one reason and one reason alone, for the glory of God. And that's an example to us, and that's how we should live. And anyone who wants to reduce that witness to some kind of political get brinksmanship simply doesn't really understand life. It doesn't really understand what we're living for, and we're called to something much greater than that. If you encountered that man today that you encountered on the street, what do you think you would have said to him, knowing who he is? If you knew who he was or know who he is now, what would you say to him in that brief moment of encounter on the street? Thank you. Thank you. Nice. Very nice. Dr. Anthony Lillis, thank you so much. God bless. You've been listening to a special In Conversation with Dr. Anthony Lillis discussing the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. You can also watch the video of our conversation on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, 
please consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com.